Welcome in everybody to the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast, your favorite two pastors just chatting every single day about how not to do ministry, all the mistakes that we've made. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm great, Louie. How are you? Louie? Ooh. You I, sound I like Louie like Armstrong that. right now. I'll take that. Uh, I have, so Derek and I are recording this episode the day after... Yep. Uh, some incredible, incredible events uh, transpired throughout our state, throughout our youth ministries, at our churches. Uh, and so I'm not going to lie. My voice, uh, it was pretty shot last night. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I sound okay. We'll yeah. call it that. Not necessarily 100%. You've never but sounded good, but you sound I appreciate okay that. relative to your normal. Hmm. That didn't feel like a compliment. It, oh, it wasn't supposed uh, to be. <laughs> Um, so we are, we are going to be talking today about the question. This might be, this might be one of our most controversial episodes, uh, which is saying something we're hoping that's true. We're hoping to offend just about everybody, uh, by the time this podcast series is over. Yep. And, uh, today we'll, uh, we maybe, maybe we offend some people. So, uh, bring it on. Uh, we'll, we'll probably just say offensive stuff just because like, yeah. even if we don't believe it, we'll just throw it out there. Uh, but we're talking today about whether or not a youth ministry can be too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we are always, uh, chasing to some degree, chasing numbers. I think there are, there's a what, right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. Uh, you know, wanting to read that everybody wants to reach more kids, uh, with the I gospel mean, yeah. and, and see more people in heaven. Like that is always the goal. Uh, but you know, inflating your numbers because they're your numbers, uh, is, is obviously the wrong way to do it. And so before we dive in, Derek, I want to give just some backstory to our listeners on, uh, our contexts. And so the quick question today to kind of lead into what we're talking about, uh, is how many students were kind of on average in the youth ministries that you have been a part of starting with, uh, the one that you grew up in? Yeah. So the youth ministry I grew up in at the time I started was probably, gosh, 15, 20 students. Um, And I started when I was like around eighth grade, ninth grade. I can't remember exactly. But by the time I graduated as a senior, I think we were up to like 60 or 70 on a Wednesday night. Like our youth ministry grew a lot. But now that same youth ministry, um, years later, is now up to 150 or 200 on a night. So uh, that ministry's always been growing, and it's awesome. And so that was kind of my context growing up. But then when I went to uh, Bible college and went to volunteer my time as a youth leader, that youth ministry was about 12 to 20. So that was kind of like an interesting jump to go from 60 or 70 back to 12 or 20. Uh, There's different philosophies, different ideas there. And so, um, you know, I was kind of a part of that ministry for a few years and we kind of hovered around that 20 mark. Uh, Sometimes it's down to eight ish. Uh, I just kind of depended, but then, uh, then jumping into my, my actual full-time vocational ministry role, when I got there, I think we started at like eight students. Um, and you know, we've, we've been faithful or not been faithful. God's been faithful and we've been thankful, uh, to see, you know, about, we now average around 40 to 60 on a Wednesday night. So, um, all kind of different ranges. And, and as we're going to talk about, there's just different practices, different philosophies, different things that you do based upon the size of your ministry. So, 
honestly, I'm kind of thankful that I've had that wider range of the things. I've the one thing I will say is I've never been a part of a quote unquote big ministry where it's like 150 plus or that type of thing. But so I feel like you have a very loose grasp on the definition of the word average because averaging 40 to 60 in a youth ministry is a pretty wide yeah, number. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, sh- I, my point with that is like, we consistently have on the lower end that 40 and the higher end, the 60. Yeah. So some might say that you may be average 50. 50 oh you my would say. goodness. Leave uh, it to you to insult me with my intelligence. No, not your intelligence, just your math skills. Well, um, that's fair. They were. That is what broke my 4.0 in high school. <laughs> I, I got I got two A minuses in freshman math, and then I went all A's for the rest of my high school career. That is the definition of a tryhard, mind you. I that's with A's in algebra two with trig pre calc calc, but I still freshman math to this day screwed over my 4.0. Well, I'll tell you what, if we've got any high school students or middle school students that are listening to this episode, uh, I can confidently say as somebody who graduated high school and has graduated college, um, your high school grades matter so little. (laughs) Um, It is just insane uh, how much I don't care what my high school grades were and how much other people don't care. Like... You think that, you know, people, you need to get such high grades in order to get into college or whatever. Like colleges have a much lower bar than high schools say they do. Yep. Um, and as the minute you step onto a college campus, nobody cares what your high school grades are. Here's were. what I will say. Here's what I will say, because this is 100% fact. If you want to save some money, grades matter. Because, That's fair. Because scholarships, especially academic ones, are on a sliding scale of your GPA. And so if you don't, like, you'll probably still get into most colleges, even with a crappy GPA. But you will definitely not get nearly as much free money as you would if you actually tried. That's true. Um, so don't bringing corrupt, it back here. Don't corrupt the minds of our youth, Kyle. Uh, well... If, yeah. if I was going to be really, really honest, uh, first of all, yeah, I have been for years, but if I was going to be really honest, I would say something along the lines of, you don't need to go to college anyway. Um, well, that's, it's, yeah. it's overrated, but, uh, Hey, we became friends in college. That's true. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> did you, that? did you hear the disdain in that, my voice? That, that, that was, that was probably more credence to the fact that you shouldn't go to college that we met. But uh, yeah, that's true. Would we, be, would we be better off if we had not become friends? Maybe. Um, so the youth ministry that I grew up, uh, in, in high school was, uh, in that 150 to 200 range, uh, it was, you know, definitely a really, really big church. So what's the average of that? Just so we're clear. Uh, 175. Okay, cool. That'd be, that'd be probably, it was, so it, when I, when I started, uh, in youth ministry in middle school, it was closer to 200 and it was probably around 150, uh, by the time I graduated. But, uh, that's what happens when you have four youth pastors in six years, uh, or something. It was something five and seven or whatever it was, um, at a church, to be fair, at a church that size, you got more than one youth pastor at a time, but, uh, there was still kind of a revolving door. Uh, once I, um, when, when I graduated, moved up to, uh, to college and I started working, uh, volunteering at the church that I'm at now. Uh, and so I've been here, you know, as either a youth leader or a youth pastor for eight years now. And, uh, when I started as a youth leader, uh, 
I, we were at maybe the 25 to 30 student range. Uh, and that was kind of consistent until I became the youth pastor. Uh, we we're probably actually not probably, I know for a fact that, uh, so far this school year, we've been averaging 65. Um, and, uh, so yeah, like I, I have two, you know, experiences, uh, the church I grew up at and then the church that I'm at now. Um, but you know, we did, you know, ranging from that, you know, 30 to 65 average, uh, you know, over the last five or six years and then coming from, you know, 150 or 200 kids, uh, in, in high school was, uh, that, that was a whole different beast. Did you split or were you all together? Um, so, you know, our, our youth ministry, when I was in middle school and high school, got the brunt end of just about everything. Nice. Um, we, I don't think I ever had a youth ministry experience in those seven years where we met on Wednesday nights as a, as a big group because we, so when I was in fifth grade, when I was in fifth grade, our church built a brand new building and, and moved into that building. Great, beautiful spaces, uh, great building. And within like a year, the kids ministry was too big for the building we had just built. And so as a result of that, they could not fit both the kids ministry and the youth ministry in the building on, on Wednesday nights. Yep. And so the youth ministry decided that they were going to make Wednesday nights their like small group time. Sure. And so we were like in homes on Wednesday nights, uh, all throughout my middle school and high school years. And then on, uh, we had, we had youth group on Monday nights, uh, for a while. Mondays. Yep. Monday nights, uh, for the majority of it, uh, we had youth group on Saturday nights, which was, which, which worked because we had Saturday night, like we had one Saturday night service at the church and then two on Sunday morning. Okay. So we had Saturday night service and then youth group was after that they had some adult classes. And so it, it worked, uh, but it was definitely unique. I still feel like that wouldn't be the best way to like get new students. I mean, I could be wrong, but like my, my youth pastor conventional logic goes, if you're in middle school or high school, going to church on a Saturday night is like tough, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I like they it. went from 200 to 150. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It's still 150 kids. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's about 145 more than I would think would show up on a Saturday. (laughs) Well, it worked out great because we would always go to youth group and then afterwards we would go like a, there was a group of our high schoolers that would always go to Applebee's for half price apps Nice on, uh, on Saturday night. So that was always fun. That was a, that's a perk of having youth ministry on Saturday nights, but I, I wouldn't call it ideal. It was more a product of the the adult. realities of the yeah. of the building and uh they i don't know they didn't like the youth ministry so we always got the brunt end of it that's fair <laughs> that's fair but uh yeah so we we're just uh you know there's not going to be a whole lot of structure to to this episode but when we when we talked about asking this question you know can a youth ministry be too big 
I, I asked some of our youth students this question because I was curious, um, you know, what they would say. And uh, there was probably nine or 10 students that, that were there when I asked the question. And a lot of them, this is, you know, the youth ministry that they've been to. Yep. And so this is their context that they have. But there were some kids that have been to lar- both larger and smaller youth ministries in our area as well. And the overwhelming answer that I got when I asked our students this question was yes. Uh, a youth ministry can absolutely be too big. Um, and the overarching theme to, to kind of their responses and their explanations was that, you know, you can't expect to be friends with absolutely everybody. Yep. But if I can walk in to a youth ministry and, and I can't find any of my people, then it's too big. Sure. Uh, Cause I've got, you know, I'm going to have my close relationships with, you know, however many people and, and I'm going to have some acquaintances. And if I can walk into a room and, and I don't, I don't see any of my friends, I got to struggle to find them. Yep. Uh, that's, that's where they kind of had a problem. Yeah. And I think that that's an, I think I like that way of measuring the concept of like, what's too big because this, this definition of big, I think is very relative, you know, like we both have churches in, in Minnesota, like North Metro, um, you know, for us, a quote unquote, big ministry might be 150 kids. If you're a church in Dallas, Texas, uh, odds are like, that's again, probably a, an average size youth group, you know, with a larger ministry being four or 500 kids, a thousand kids, whatever it is. You know, I think of one of the churches I really love to ascribe to. And, uh, you know, like I, it, it's kind of where, where I quote unquote go to church, you know, when I can just tune into a service and do that is elevation, you know, um, their, their services run 2000 in the sanctuary, you know, like that's a big church to me. That's a huge church to me. And so, um, I, I like that way to explain it is, you know, if I can't find any of my people, it's too big, you know? And I think the first thing that comes to my brain is, uh, it's really what you're going for, right? Like, like what is the purpose? Because while that ministry, um, might not have, the ability to, to get small. We'll talk about that in a second. Odds are that church or that ministry has a pretty massive budget. Like they, they, they have some really nice lights. They probably have a, a killer worship team. Uh, they can probably bring in one of these big name speakers for a conference or for a retreat. And, you know, um, I think of churches around here who have brought in, um, you know, professional quarterbacks and, 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 you know, college coaches, and they can do some really, really cool things for these really cool events. And so, you know, where, where that draws, you know, where that draws people to come to that ministry, uh, it also limits you and what you're able to do on a one-on-one basis and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think before we even get into this concept of can a youth ministry be too big, it's so vital for you as a youth pastor to go, what is our end goal here? You know, because the other thing I'll say too is, okay, you're, you're in our chair. Are you going to get discouraged when your youth ministry is doing good things and you're growing, you're expanding and you hit a certain size and you go, Hmm, how can we kill this? <laughs> like, how can we make this yeah, smaller? You, you can't come up with like an arbitrary, just, I'm a, you know, I have an arbitrary number in my head. Like, Hey, if we ever hit, you know, 175 kids on a Wednesday night, like we're closing the doors. Yeah. Right. You know, can't have more than that. You know, there's it, it, your comment about like what your, what your end goal is. There is interesting because there's a church, uh, that's right in our backyard. Uh, and they are, 
you, you know, th- I don't want to just throw every single large church under the bus because mm-hmm. clearly there's something drawing people to those churches. They're now, awesome. Some people would argue that the thing drawing people to those churches is the personality of the pastor, yep. which is not a good reason to go to that church. But if you as a church can find a niche that you can pursue and, and pursue it well, then you know there can be some fruit there. Mm-hmm. There's a church in our area that they are huge. Mm-hmm. They are they are a massive church and their goal is to reach people who wouldn't normally set foot in a church. Yeah. Uh they they are targeting people who uh they've they've got very little interest in church. They definitely aren't believers. And that like that's a great goal. That's mm-hmm. a great niche to mm-hmm. seek after and clearly they are good at it. They have 10 campuses of their church and an additional one on the way. Now I was looking this up. I was on this church's website earlier and it was very misleading because it looks like they have 13 campuses, but you know, I was like, Oh, well this one is coming soon. They've got another campus that says coming soon, but really it's just like one of their campuses is relocating from one city to another. Sure. So they say that this new campus is coming soon, but really it's They're because be closing old, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, that's misleading, but they also have, you know, so they've got, they've got a bunch of different campuses listed and then they have the online campus listed. Derek, where do we say, where do we, how do we feel about churches referring to their online viewers as a campus? Uh, I'll say I've never heard of that before. Really? That? No, I've never heard of that before. Oh man, I've I've heard of quite a few churches doing that, and I, you know, well, I, it feels I, like cheating. I guess that's not true because, like, so again, elevation. Yep. Um, something that they do is if you're watching online because they are a global. I mean, they have people from everywhere. Um, they have what's called eFam, and so it's kind of like if you're an online viewer. Like they'll plug you in to other online viewers to kind of have like a small group time outside of a Sunday morning, like which is really sweet. But um, I I don't know how I I mean even that like there are you know if you use elevation as an example, I'll give a shout out to uh, the pursuit uh, up in Washington as another church. Yeah. I love watching. Uh, watching their ser- or listening to the podcast, especially of their of their sermons, but it, in my opinion, that is what that is meant to be. It is meant to yeah. be something that's encouraging, where where I can listen to this and it's great. But to to rely on your Christian community being entirely virtual, yeah, uh, that seems sketchy to me, yeah. And to, to call your, you know, at a church this size where they got 10 different campuses, like they've probably got a healthy amount of people watching their sermons. I know Elevation does as yeah. well. A lot of these churches do, um, you know, if, if like, I mean, you got like one weekly viewer, can I call that a campus? Like, is there a threshold? Right. You right. Have to yeah. Well, and it, it, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things I, I was, I was looking at another church in my area as well. Um, and they had come out with a statement saying, um, Hey, until further notice, we are stopping all live streaming just because we feel as, you know, I think we talked about this on a previous episode, maybe not, maybe this is a conversation you and I were having off, off microphone, but 
you know, one of the things with COVID is it brought pretty much every single church in America anyway, um, to increase their online presence because, uh, shocker, you couldn't meet in person. Right. So every single church now had some form of a live stream for their services, which was awesome. It, it just kind of increased that availability. The problem with that is people found that, Hey, it's way more convenient to go to church in my skibbies, in my pajama pants with a cup of coffee and waffles because I rolled out of bed 10 minutes ago than to get up, get my kids loaded, get them dressed, brush their teeth, get everybody ready out the door, be there. You know, there, there's just a different convenience of having online church. However, where people, where we get into trouble is people can think that church is an intake of information. Well, I can listen to the sermon online or in person. So what's the difference? The difference is in Acts chapter two, the church is not meant to just be a dedication to the apostles teaching. They broke bread together. They shared possessions. They did life together. And so you bring this whole thing full circle. I think I have a little bit of a rub with that kind of a mentality of like, Hey, you're our online campus because now, Hey, if you are, if you're in, if you're in Senegal, if you're in Tanzania, you're in Madagascar and you can't come to Elevation Church, okay, that's a different story. But when you live 10 minutes outside of Charlotte and you don't want to go to church there in person because it's not convenient, then like that's a problem to me. I think having that quote unquote online campus becomes a crutch in which we get away from the true heart of the church, which is to do life together, hug each other and just kind of, yeah, go through life together. Are you telling me that uh, the population and the congregation of Bedside Baptist is maybe a little bit too high right now? <laughs> Pastor Pillow is yeah. presiding. Hey, he's, he's got some good sermons. I'm just going to say That's it. true. And hey, I got to say that the comforter is always there. Dude, <laughs> what? I can tell you have a kid coming because your dad jokes have just been flowing <laughs> in a whole nother side of you. It's well, yeah, that might be true, but you know, praying to Sister Sheets and uh, you know, Saint Mattress, <laughs> it's always good, man. <laughs> I can't fault you for that. Uh, no, I think I don't know that that community piece is important. Uh, the the other thing that I feel like is really important when it comes to this idea of church size. Um, is I, I saw this, uh, this cartoon that like, it was kind of in the style of a political cartoon, but obviously it wasn't political. It was just about churches. Sure. Um, and like pastors are called to be the shepherd of their congregation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I saw this cartoon where it looked like, you know, kind of a hillside. There's a whole bunch of sheep. Uh, you know, just all there. And there were like these billboard looking things and, you know, kind of meant to be uh, like big TV screens sure. uh, or projector screens. And, and you had like the, the pastor sheep uh, with nice. like the mic headset <laughs> yeah. was, yep. was up on the screens. And there were, there were two sheep kind of in the back of the crowd, you know, looking up at the, at the projector screens and they were talking and, and the one sheep says like, oh man, like, isn't our shepherd great? And, and the other sheep responded, uh, you know, oh, I, I haven't met our shepherd, but I've read his latest book. And that, that just kind of got to me 
in, in a really unique way and, yeah. and stuck with me because, you know, I, I think that pastors are called to, to be the shepherds of their church, but some of them don't know their sheep mm-hmm. a- and some of their sheep know their shepherd's commands, but they don't know his voice. And there's wow. a difference there. Yeah. Like, like sheep knowing the, the commands of the shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've heard him bark out orders to the entire group, but that's different than knowing his voice, yeah. knowing, you know, what would, what would my pastor do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what advice would he give me in this situation? Because he's given me advice before, because we've shared a meal together, because mm-hmm. we've had conversations together. Uh, when, when you grow to a size where you can't do that, uh, I, I think that's dangerous. Like, would you notice as a shepherd, if the one left the 99, oh. probably yeah. would you notice if the one left the 999, probably not. Right. You know, and how long would it take you to realize that that one sheep was missing? And would you even care? The other thing that has me worried about that is it really allows you to create distance from who you present yourself as and who you actually are. You know, like when you are, when you're in the trenches and your sheep know you and know your voice, they also can call you out if they desire, Yeah, (laughs) you know, they can also say, Hey, I didn't like that. Or I didn't do that. When your shepherd is in his green room until the sermon starts and then goes out and preaches and no one else talks with him or sees him. It's it again, I there's a milieu of different reasons as to why we see these quote unquote big name pastors falling. I mean, I, it, this is a whole other issue I could get into, but my point remains the same. The reason I think bigger pastors fall is a variety of reasons. I think you put them on a pedestal for too long, you know, all these different things, you know, there's a lot of other pastors that do fall. They just don't get the media recognition. So there's that too. But where I'm going with all of this is I think when you have 999 sheep and they don't know who you actually are beyond what they see on a Sunday morning, you can present yourself as this one person, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you can hide and you can be a different person if you desire and still show up on Sunday and present the image that you have. And so I think for me, what, what the other danger of this is, is, you know, to bring this full circle, I've had people walk into my church of a hundred or 150, you know, and you know, when we, as we talk and engage something that comes out of their mouth is, Hey, I was at this big name church and it was great, but I'm here because I want that smaller. And I really, what it comes down to is I want community, you know, and I think, you know, something that you have to figure out is, at some point, your church becomes so big that it gets harder and harder to get small. It gets harder and harder to have the reason why people, I think, make that switch from big name church to my church is because when they walk in the door, they see me, I give them a hug. When they walk in the next time, I call them out by name. That's not happening at a big church of a thousand. It can't. It's, it's physically impossible. What do you do when you just are terrible at names? Like, I well, am. I mean, that that's where you have your wife, who's really good <laughs> ah, with names. There it is. And hey, this is my wife, and then you know that type of thing. So that's, that's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah, I should use that more often. I it's straight up going from youth pastor to lead pastor. That's one thing I had to learn. Is okay. 
I suck at names. And with youth ministry, you can just kind of like high five your way through it and do that type of thing. But when it comes to lead pastorship, you don't, you don't always have that same luxury. And so that <laughs> has been a struggle. You, of you can't just build relationships through high fives. No, I, I had to actually work at it. So yeah, it's one of those things. I, I agree though, because uh, you know, we were probably talking about the same church in our area. Like I've, we've had plenty of people will, will come to our church yep. after having spent a year or two, like they got saved at the big church and they spent a year or two there yep. and now they're looking for something deeper. Yep. That happened. I see that all the time i see students you know coming to it start coming to our youth ministry whose parents were in that situation and they you know switched to our church so then the their kids switched to our church like yep. it happens all the time and like there are uh there are some big big wins to be had at those churches but yep. the bigger you get the more you have to fight to be small yep and relationship and and discipleship is always going to be absolutely necessary. Yep. And you know, it's maybe it's just like the personal conviction for me. Like I, I could never, uh, I, I could never foresee myself being okay with being at a church that was so, well, that was that big that, you know, didn't have that sense of community yeah. about it. Uh, you know, if, if God can still do some great things with that, then that's cool. Right. But I think there's a depth to our faith that is necessary. Yep. That does not allow a vast majority of believers to remain at a church that size for the entirety of their walk. So here's a question for you that, I don't have the answer to, nor is even our show well, doc right I now. will because You're I'm Kyle. so much smarter yeah, than you. Clearly. <laughs> so you bring this thing full circle, right? This this family, this student, this person walks into your church. I was at insert big name church and I got saved there. It was a great church. Do you want to just, I'm going to interrupt so we can bring some context. Do you want to like, we need a fictional name for for all the mega churches of the world. You got any? You got any good ones? I'm looking at your desk and your and your and your your room to try and find some arbitrary <laughs> object here. Movement, movement church sounds like, sounds like a trendy big it does. church. It sounds like a super movement. super trendy church. Okay, all right, movement church is the mega church. Abe Lincoln and and uh, Noah Webster go to that church. Yes, that is both honorary members of our fictional world. Yep. Okay, so family walks in from movement church. They got saved. It was great. Okay. Um, that is the purpose of movement. The purpose of movement is we want to get people in the door who don't normally walk in the door with our great production, seamless transitions, fancy bells and whistles so that they can hear the heart of the gospel. That is our mission. Cool. They get saved. Now they come to your church. What I don't love about that model is you are now instilling in this family or this person that church hopping is a common and acceptable and suggested form of your walk with God. Now, here's what I will say. I believe you need to go to a church where you can connect and become the fullest version of yourself. I firmly believe that. What I don't love is seeing these patterns of people who will go to a church for two years until they get nothing more out of it and then go to a different church for two years and rinse and repeat for the next 20 years. Because my problem with that is I really believe there's a depth to getting 
rooted in one church. I believe that is the early church model. I believe when you look at the early church in Acts, that's what they lived by. But again, you go to a post-COVID world where everything is live stream and everything is better out there. Church consumerism, I believe that an all-time high. And as a leader of a church, that's concerning to me because I believe one, it's robbing of us, robbing us from what Jesus really wants for us, which is community. But it's also hard to establish culture when you have people in and out of your doors every two years. All right. So I have, I have thoughts. I left you like 45 rabbit trails there. So I'm really curious to know where you're going to go. We're all bringing it back to one. Okay. One of the phrases that I use all the time in youth ministry is how you get them is how you have to keep them. It's such a good word. Yeah. And in youth ministry, 99% of the time, this applies to games and giveaways. Yep. <laughs> right? Like if, yep. if I bribe you to come with free TVs and PS5 gift cards, and- PS5s, all that stuff, when that stuff stops flowing, then you probably stop coming. Uh, I wonder if a lot of this church hopping stems from... I, I started going to mega church movement movement. Thank you. I started going to movement because it didn't feel like a church. That was, mm. that was the draw sure. of movement church because it felt a little bit more like a concert. The production was the absolute highest quality it could be. Yep. But I, and, and I got enough teaching there to understand that it wasn't enough. Sure. I, I got just enough teaching to understand that there was a depth that I was missing. Yep. Because that's the other thing we don't talk about with with really big churches. Anytime, and this is not just a church thing. If you like, if you go to a conference, uh, like a youth conference, a lot of times whoever is speaking has to be a little bit more general and a little bit more shallow because they are speaking to such a wide audience. Yep. Uh, you know, a church where our goal is, if Movement Church's goal is to, you know, reach people that normally wouldn't set foot in a church, yep. that's a very seeker-friendly model yep. of church. And so they are, uh, they are pursuing that, you know, salvation every week message, mm-hmm. uh, which is not in itself a bad thing, but... If I if I'm there for a year or two, I'm like, okay, there is a depth that I am missing. Yep. So I I leave Movement Church and I start coming to Derek's church, and you know, with without offending Derek, I think I can say that Derek's production level at his church is not on par. Yes. With Movement Church, I think Derek would almost be proud of the fact that his production <laughs> level is not on par <laughs> with Movement Church. Uh, and so when when you step out of the Movement Church and into Derek's church, all right, now I'm starting to get a little bit of that depth. But I'm also missing this production thing that got me in the door. Yep. And it creates this uneasiness to where I start church hopping because I'm trying to find both of those. Yep. And I don't know that that exists. And so I I understand you know, wanting to reach people that nobody else is reaching, yep. but I wonder... I wonder if 
there is a little bit of damage being done yeah uh where you are creating churchgoers whether they are students or adults you're creating churchgoers where I am expecting this high-end production yep. that only the mega churches can fill. Yep. But I am also craving because we are all craving community. So I'm also craving community that a only a smaller church can fulfill. Well, and I think that I would say both churches on each side of the fence try to be both. Like I mo- movement church, I guarantee you there are still a, there is many Bible studies and groups in which they go to a deeper level. Um, but I think, and this is more of just, I think a general culture thing we need to address as believers and leaders is understanding that what people don't always realize, I think why you start to, why church hopping becomes a thing is it almost becomes like um, a drug high. You know, you go to a new church and the worship is different. Like, like maybe you left church A for a very specific reason. So you go to church B and your issue with church A, church B does really, really well. And you're like, oh, this is so refreshing. But then as you get inundated and as you get deeper into it, you find that, okay, well, well, this issue at church A was glaring to me. At least they did. They also did this better than church B. And so now you have this, okay, this is good, but there's still something wrong with it. And what people find out five, 10, 15, 20 years later is, there is something shocker and PSA to, to everyone listening. There is something wrong with every single church in the world. Do you know why? Because it's led by humans and humans have issues all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so if you're looking for that perfect church that fits all of your needs, you're not going to find it because there's going to be something that you don't find. So what you need to find is a church that fits most of what you need. And is that fair to say like mo of where you feel like you can grow? And that that's ultimately my thing is like, I hope and pray our church is a place where like non-believers are very welcomed. They don't walk in the door and feel uneasy. They don't, we create intentional things to where we make sure that every single person who walks in the door feels welcome, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a full staunch believer, whether you're 85 or eight, we want you to feel welcomed in our church. But at the same time, we're also going to have small groups and life groups that are geared towards discipleship. I'm going to preach to you as if you are a believer with many on-ramps as if you are not in general things. And so there's things you can do, but it all comes back to our original task at hand. Big churches, movement churches. Like, is there a point in which, if, so let me, let me ask you this question, Kyle. Is there a point in which your youth ministry gets to a size in which you now have to drastically restructure how you do things because you're now starting to compromise on the things that got you here, namely community, discipleship, et cetera. So I'm going to answer that. Yeah. But first I have another thought that uh, went along with what you said earlier that I need to get off my chest here. Um, I'm scared. <laughs> you probably should be uh, talking about, you know, I like, we want our churches to be churches where everybody's welcome. Yep. I get that. I understand that. And, and we got churches that operate on a very seeker friendly model. Sure. Our, our fictional movement church here, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to reach all these people, whatever. Is it possible that one of the core problems in this whole conversation 
is that Christians have forgotten that they, not the church, but they as individuals are the ones that are supposed to be leading people to Christ. Amen. Like we should have very few salvations on Sunday mornings, not because our churches are ineffective, but because our believers are like building relationships, going out into the marketplace. And like, there are people being saved in their living room over dinner Right. Not on church on Sunday morning. Yep. The church on Sunday morning is supposed to be a place for encouragement and accountability and community. But most salvations should, should be taking place outside of the church's walls. Yep. And we have completely lost sight of that. Uh, in, in at least the Western church, we, we just like, that is too scary for me. Uh, pastors have probably done a terrible job of equipping their con- congregation to do that. And it's resulted in, you know, salvation like has to be done under the, you know, pastor's supervision. Yeah. So before you answer my original question, um, cause I know that just, I'm piggybacking off of your piggyback off of my statement. How do you like that? How I like, like it. Apples? No, I like it a lot. Um, so we do this thing called growth track, which I'm sure a lot yep. of you listening are familiar with. Uh, maybe not our specifically, but the concept. And in one of our later meetings, as we're talking about kind of being deployed and kind of doing something with your faith. Um, I made this statement and you could have heard like a pin drop because they're like, I don't get how that's possible. But my comment was, it is not my job as the pastor to reach our community. It's not like my job as the pastor is to create a vision in which our church is a blessing to our community. But my job as the pastor is not to be the one with the flag stamping it in the middle of our community saying, I want to reach this community for Christ. My job is to Ephesians chapter four, equip and empower the saints for the work of the ministry. As the pastor, as the shepherd, you are equipping and empowering your sheep to go into their community, their neighborhood, their living room, their workplace to live for Christ. Like that is how you reach a community. And so like, I love what you said, like salvation should not, not that they shouldn't be happening on Sunday morning, but like you should be living your faith in such a way that the people around you notice. And and that is, that that is how you grow your church. That's Mm -hmm. how you grow. The kingdom is the, the church started with 12 people. It started with 12 people in Jesus. And now where we are, where we are is because they took that word into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah. That's how we got here. So I, I do want to get back to the, to the youth ministry question, but I'm not done talking about just adults in general, because this, this feeds into youth ministry. Yep. You know, youth ministries kind of go as the church goes. There's a lot of, Churches, I don't, I, I should have maybe done like some homework into the history of this before we did this podcast episode. Would that be but on par with what we do though? Not really. Okay, no, we're good. just looking it up as we go yeah, along. Winging uh, it. Multi-campus churches. Mm. Okay. I want to talk about multi-campus churches for a second because can, can you, I'm going to, I'm going to talk for a little bit. Can you like maybe try to look up like when multi-campus churches became a thing. Yes. And I know I got about 20 minutes because we just now entered into one of Kyle's hot buttons. <laughs> and so I am very excited for this. <laughs> oh no. Uh, no, I hope I don't talk for 20 minutes straight. How are we doing on time? We're at 43 minutes. This, oh no, we are so not done yet. Um, <laughs> I, so, so I want to talk about multi-campus churches because 
it's it's got it's you know got to be a relatively newer you know phenomenon compared to the history of of the entire church basically what we're looking at is a a church growing and they you know it's it's sort of like planting a church but not really uh I, I have to imagine ninety nine percent of multi campus churches uh, use the model of you know we have a service at our main campus on Sunday mornings and then we have a second campus where that second campus has a live worship team uh, they have a campus pastor that that greets people and does announcements and everything is synced up uh, whether it is live or or slightly delayed where the pastor preaching at the main campus, their sermon gets streamed to the, to any satellite campuses that they have. So that satellite campus, you know, for some churches, you know, it's, it's 20, 15, 20, 30 minutes down the road. Uh, you know, you'll see this a lot in suburban settings where, you know, the, this church has like five different campuses, one in, you know, in five different suburbs. Uh, there is the, the aforementioned church in our area that, uh, that has 10 campuses. One of their campuses is like an hour and a half, almost two hours away from their main campus. Uh, in, in a, uh, in a completely different metropolis, but it works because technology. And so you, you get these, uh, churches that, that grow to the point where they have like 4,000 people a week across seven different campuses. The question that I want to kind of ask is whether or not some pastor's egos are too big to church plant. Wow. Because like you got seven campuses and 4,000 people each week. Would you still be secure in your calling if you had a church of 500 people and you planted six churches of the same size versus having one church, you know, one church covering of seven different campuses and 4,000 people all kind of under the same umbrella of movement church or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and this is, this is kind of tricky. Like I've, I've spoken to, uh, you know, people that are on staff or attend churches like this. And there are obviously some, uh, you know, things that they can do that, uh, that other churches can't like it's, it's the same thing with, you know, just really, really big churches in a singular location. There are great things that can come out of that. My question has always been, if you have, so using this, you know, kind of model, like you got seven campuses and, you know, round numbers, 3,500 people. If you, every time you get to a certain number, if you just planted a church with, with a portion of your church and empowered them, I have never been a fan of streaming the message from one location to the other and having that one individual on such a pedestal that, they are, uh, you know, they, they do almost become idolized by that entire church. How am I doing so far? Have I stalled enough for you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've listened to about 10% of what you've said. That's I've been, fine. I've been I'm just so engaged. Do you have this. anything? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. So if we're going to be true to form, I, I went to Wikipedia first. That seems like <laughs> the most logical place for this podcast to start. Yes. Okay. So the first multi-site church, Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1942. Here's, what's get, here's what get crazy. In 1990, 
Five years before I was born. Yep. There were 10 multi-churches in the United States. Multi-campus churches. Uh, I'm sorry. Multi-site, yeah. Campus churches. Okay. In 2014, so I can only imagine what this number is now. In 2014, 8,000. My goodness. So from 1990 to 2014, there were 8,000 multi-site churches, which again- in 2022, post-COVID, I can only imagine how much bigger that number is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's, you know, at least 10, 12, 15,000. And as an off, as, as kind of like an extension of that, in 2020, so this is newer data, 70% of megachurches, and this is, this is where I was trying to go, I try to find how many megachurches are in the United States. Um, they have it defined as a church over 2,000. Okay. So, I, I, that is not how I would define a mega church, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> it, it goes back to our original thread of like big is so relative. Oh, you yeah. know, because no, like I sure. would consider a church of a thousand relatively a mega church. You yeah. know, it, yeah. just, it just depends. But yeah. So, I mean, reg- I think the, the point you're trying to make is this is becoming, this is becoming a trend. You're yeah. having more and more campuses, like, which I'm only assuming the, the hope and the goal of a multi-site is to reach more people in different areas. I can only imagine that is the true yeah. purpose of a multi-site church. Like we have a good operation going on here, but we want to reach people in that community because there's not a church in that community. That's great. You know, the problem is, uh, again, and again, you probably said this, but I was tuning out about 90% of what you said. Um, the problem with multi-site is it does lose that intimacy a little bit. You know, like yep. it is one of those things personally, um, when I went to visit a church that had a, like when we were on vacation, I was on sabbatical, that type of thing. We went to one of these bigger churches and the the pastor had pre-recorded his message and it was being rebroadcast that day. And the message was great. It was It was a great message, but it just felt different. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like it, it, it felt like when you go to a sporting event and watch it live, it's different than when you're at home watching the recorded version because you had a church event. Like the outcome's already over. You yep. already, there's just a different weight there. And I think in a lot of ways, multi-site for some people, it doesn't matter, but I think there are a large amount of people who like, it's just hard to really have depth when your relationship with your pastor is two dimensional. Yeah. So there's, there's a church that I want to talk about and you know, Derek movement church. No, it's actually not movement church. Derek and I like, we're not going to like call people out by name and throw them under the bus, but there is a church that I do want to kind of name here because I don't agree with everything that they do, but there are some things that they have done that I think are actually really, really cool. All right. So uh, there is a church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is the South Metro uh, suburban uh, Minneapolis uh, called Wooddale Church. And Wooddale Church, it's, I was, you know, perusing their website earlier today. They're like 75 years old as a church. I believe they started in 1949. Uh, They've only had five senior pastors in 75 years, which is very, very impressive. Uh, Shout out to, to Wooddale Church for that. They've had three pastors since 1957. (laughs) That's insane. So that's, that's 20 years, 35 years. And then now their current senior pastor's been there for uh, nine. Wow. Uh, going on 10 here. So uh, he's got, you know, 
30 more years before he's allowed to retire. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> um, but Wooddale Church. Now, Wooddale Church has, I don't have it in front of me. I think they have four campuses. Uh, and so, you know, that's the part where I'm like, ah, okay, like that's not my favorite thing in the world. However, Wooddale Church has also planted nine churches uh, out of their own church body, yep. meaning they like, you know, I'm just throwing out numbers here, but they, they built their church to, and, and their church grew to the point where they were at like 700 people. Yep. And so they were like, Hey, these 200 people, we want you to go to this neighboring community and plant a church there. 200 is an excellent starting number for that's that's phenomenal for a yep. starting church plant yep it still leaves us with a very healthy 500 yep and and we are equipping empowering you uh to to go and do your thing and i presume this is an, uh, an autonomous church so yes, this is yes, not a hundred percent campus a hundred percent autonomous church yeah the only tie and this is one of the cutest things i've ever seen a church do i love this so much seven of the nine uh, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Seven of the nine camp of, uh, churches that they have planted have the word wood in their new church name. That's amazing. So Wooddale is the name of the parent church. Yep. Bridgewood, Northwood, Oakwood, Timberwood, Westwood, Woodcrest, the Wood Ridge. Right. They, they have, they do not have the branch. That's hilarious though. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, but, but I, I have not, I have not vetted this. I cannot say with 100% certainty this is true. But the rumor is that they refer to these churches as wood chips. And if that is true, <laughs> that is amazing. I love that so much. That is amazing. <laughs> That's so awesome. But but it's a it's a cool tie to, you know, these, yeah. these new churches and, and the parent church kind of have that little bit of, of relationship in the name. And, uh, they, but they are empowering those churches to yeah. kind of be their thing. Yep. Um, you know, that kind, I love, love, love that, that model of ministry, that model of church planting. Yep. Um, the other thing, and, and this is something I don't even, I've never seen a church do this. I'm not naive to think that this is a hundred percent original idea. There has to be a church out there somewhere that's doing this. Please somebody tell me if there is my idea for a multi-site church. Like this is how I would say, like, yeah. I, I love the Wooddale model. Yep. I love the idea of, hey, when we hit a certain number, let's empower some of our people to go and plant a church. And, and you can have, uh, and I'm sure they probably did this with these campuses or with these new churches, you can have a, uh, like a financial map mm -hmm. where, Hey, the first year, uh, we are going to, you know, give you guys X amount of funds, uh, toward, toward your ministry. And then years two through five, you know, you start to taper that amount back to the point where that new church is fully operational, fully independent financially, and they're off and running, uh, that like, I would totally support that. I love that. If you really want to do the multi-campus model, where we are one church with seven campuses. What I would love to see those churches do, most of the time they have like, you know, you've got your lead pastor, they're the normal one preaching on mm -hmm. most Sundays. Yep. Uh, and they have a team that helps put together the sermons. 
I, I don't think I've ever seen a multi-campus church where they don't have like a campus pastor mm-hmm. at the, at campuses two through seven. Yep. Uh, empower those people to preach. Yeah. I think some of them do. I, I, I do think, but, but what I'm, and I'm not talking like, you know, once in a while, what, what I, yeah. I, I have never been able to wrap my mind around streaming the, the main message from campus one to the others, when you could have the body of the sermon be written by a team so that it is absolutely fantastic. And then each campus pastor goes around and, and they are empowered to take the body of the sermon, right? The points are the same. The text, uh, the main text is the same and we're, we're all kind of going the same direction with it, but then I can put my own sermons or I can put my own stories into it. I can put our church's context into it and you're empowered. And then they are preaching live at their church. I know there are churches out there that have to be doing this, but that model of, multi-campus church makes so much more sense to me yeah. than streaming the message. And I've actually seen a church that way. You know, I, I've, there's a certain church in our, in our context that's fairly close that they, there are certainly times where the head honcho preaches to everybody, but by and large, um, you know, the one specifically I'm thinking of the, the campus pastor essentially is leading his own church. The only, the only reason you know it's part of a campus is because they have the same name and they have a covering of their, uh, which I'm, I'm great with that. You know, I think that that's kind of the same model you're talking about. Um, so I was thinking about when you were talking is, do you know who did church planning really well, uh, was the disciples. Yeah. Like they went to the church of Corinth. They went to the church of Thessalonica. Like they didn't go to Ascension Church Corinth campus. You know what I'm talking about? Pretty sure it's Thessalonica. I hate you, but that's fine. I, I'm rolling. I'm rolling. I'm shooting from the hip here. Um, ling- linguistics and and that type of thing is is more of formality. But like you get my point. Like like they, they yeah. the disciples would go into these communities make sure the theology was sound, make sure they were doing the right thing. That's why we have all these letters because Paul or whoever is writing it is correcting their theology and their practice, but they were their own entity. They are their own church. Uh, The disciples more so went there, got it started, made sure it was running well, and then they backed out. Um, And I thought that went really, really well. So, you know, I think it really, without trying to paint too broad a brushstrokes here, the point is you can to sum this whole episode up, you can do big church. Well, this is not a poo poo on big churches inherently. I just think there, there are unique challenges. And where I think that, that we're trying to go with this is what do you do and how do you approach this kind of a model? Yeah. And transitioning, cause we want to talk a little bit about youth ministry specifics here. Have you, Derek, have you ever seen a multi-campus church where like they're streaming the message? Have you ever seen that model done in youth ministry well never i don't think that i have either uh you know i there are obviously 
you know, the, these multi-campus churches obviously still have youth ministries. Yep. Uh, you know, they're not just operating with adults and like uh, youth figure it out. I don't know. Uh, they, they still have youth ministries, but I don't think I've ever seen those churches have this same model with youth uh, for good reason. Like, yeah. I don't think it would work at all with no. youth. You know, shorter attention spans and... Right. Yeah. And and youth, even more than adults, I think crave that community. Yeah. You know, we saw... Uh, was this, I don't think this was a podcast episode. I, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with, but church, like mega churches and, and churches like this size, they were the ones that saw the biggest hit through COVID, uh, to their youth ministry attendance numbers. Uh, they, they saw a lot of students leaving because they did not see, they did not have that a key relational connection to the person on the stage. Sure. And, you know, churches that were smaller for the most part, their youth ministries were not affected nearly as much. Right. Uh, you know, there's exceptions both ways, but for the most part, that was kind of the trend through COVID. And so for, from a youth ministry perspective, I do think that that relational factor is really, really important. Massive. Uh, when, when you start thinking about, okay, as a youth pastor, you know, is it possible for my youth ministry to be too big? Pulling, you know, 10 of the millions of students. <laughs> I, I pulled 10 students out of the millions in America and they said yes. Yep. Uh, so obviously every single American student would say yes because we extrapolate the numbers. Uh, and, and we give no regard for good statistical research on this show. There's no need. Uh, how many students, you know, it starts here. How many students can you as the youth pastor disciple, you know, five, 10, 15, 20. Uh, I, I think there's a pretty good precedent that 12 should maybe yep, be the maximum number. I would agree. Uh, <laughs> so if you can only truly disciple a maximum of 12, you need great adult leaders around you if you are going to have more than that. Um, what's like, do you, Derek, do you have any like number you want to throw out on like what the best ratio is for like adults to students in a youth ministry? Are you talking discipleship specifically or just because safety wise, the one I've always operated is eight to one. Yeah. Safety. Yeah. I've, I've heard that one as well. Like if you're, you know, going to, you know, like going on a mission trip yeah. or, you know, going to an overnight thing, like eight to one is kind of a safety thing. But yeah, yeah when we're talking about discipleship, it's probably a little bit smaller than 10 that. is my sweet spot. Okay. I think 10 would be my, my 12 as possible. I mean, we have our student leaders at one point were 12. We've graduated a few and so on and so forth. But Beyond that, 12 in one sitting in one group, it's, it gets hard to just keep tabs on everybody. And granted, that was with my wife and I, you know? And so it was still difficult with, like, I would say that's 12 to one and a half because while we're two different people, we're tag teaming it. So it's like not true 12 to two, but it's more than 12 to one. Um, and so, but I just, I think in terms of if your goal is to really get deep and really be, you know, integrated with those students anything over 12 just gets tough. All right. So I'm going to, this is going to be a little controversial here. Okay. This, this whole episode. <laughs> it hasn't it. I hope so. The ideal ratio in a youth ministry is one adult for every five kids. It's a lot of leaders. That is a ton of leaders. All right. Now that does not mean that every single one of those leaders comes to every single Wednesday night. Sure. You yeah. can have some leaders that operate in slightly different roles to help your youth ministry. But 
if you like, I mean, I, you know, hear what you're saying. Like, you know, once you got to like over 10 kids with you and your wife, it started to be a struggle. Do you want to know what that is? That's one adult for every five kids, right? You know, two adults for 10 kids like that to me, if you are really going to be able to disciple students, uh, I love to pursue that one in five number. It is hard to hit. Yeah, it is. It is incredibly hard to hit. I like, we are not there right now, but uh, you have, it's, you know, I think the theme of this episode is that the bigger your church grows, the bigger your youth ministry grows, the more you have to fight to be small. And it's, and it's worth that fight too. I think, I think that that would be my concluding thought is, you know, I think given the last hour of us basically talking about how tough big churches are, the tendency would be to, you know, and I actually, it's one of those things I've had conversations where um, people sometimes get nervous that a group is going to get bigger than what it is right now, because I like it the way I like the way the size is now, you know, so the tendency can be, well, gosh, like I don't, I don't want to grow bigger. And so I don't think the mentality also can be, I'm not going to outreach because I don't want to grow bigger than what we have now. Like it's us four on no more. I don't think that's a good philosophy either. Um, but I think it is one of those things, a question I ask myself and I, and my team could recite this to you frontwards and backwards is if we were a church or in our context, if we were a youth ministry twice our size, what would look different? Like, what if our church, if our youth group, instead of it being 50 kids, a hundred kids, what would have to change? Well, we'd for sure need more leaders. That's the obvious one. We'd probably need a check-in system. We'd probably need, you know, you go down the list of if we had a hundred kids in your world, would have to change. To me, what that says is start doing those things now so you can sustain what you have right now when you get bigger, yeah. you know, because if you grow to bigger than what you can sustain, you're going to lose kids because you can't outgrow what you can't sustain. And so it's one of those things where you have to be able to accommodate that growth. If you want to keep what you have, the goal is to grow. But if you're prepared, I would also dare say you can maintain what you have now if you're prepared and if you work at it. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, I think that's really what it all comes down to is, you know, you, you, it takes a, little, a more preparation when, when you're a little bit bigger. Uh, it takes more intentionality when you're a little bit bigger. Uh, but the fight is always still going to come back to, okay, how do we make sure that deep relationships are happening? Yeah. Uh, and, and I would, you know, as a youth ministry, you don't like, you know, you're, you're a youth ministry of, you know, 20 kids mm-hmm. and, and your church, you know, most church statistics would say that if you're a youth ministry of 20 kids, your church as a whole is probably around 200. Yeah. Uh, if, if your youth ministry were to all of a sudden, you know, God starts moving, your high school has a revival, uh, and you know, your youth ministry grows to, you know, 300 kids. Yep. Uh, first of all, that's awesome. Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go. Um, you do not have the authority as the youth pastor to say, all right, we're going to church plant so that we have two ministries of 150 instead yeah. of one ministry of three. Cause right. like your, your adult services might not be growing at that rate. Right. Like you, you do not have the authority as the youth pastor to say, we're going to church plant. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you do have is, 
you know, you, you got to get creative. Yeah. Uh, like Derek asked the, the first question you asked, I mentioned that we were, you know, 45 I grew minutes up, ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was more than that. Maybe I, I grew up at a church that was, you know, 200 kids in the mm-hmm. youth ministry. And you asked if we split up junior high and senior high, uh, you know, those questions are, and, and I do think there may have been, I don't even remember, like maybe we did for a little bit of that time. Uh, like logistically, you know, thinking through some of those creative things I have thought about, you know, like for our group on Wednesday nights, you know, if we are, if we grow a little bit more, we are going to start to feel pretty cramped in the room that we're in. Okay. Could, could we facilitate, uh, having, you know, our high school small groups, our high school connect groups be the first thing that they do while the middle schoolers are in listening to the sermon. Yep. And then everybody comes together for worship because when you're standing, you don't take up as much space. Right. And then the middle schoolers go to connect groups and the high schoolers sit uh, in the yep. uh, in the sermon. Uh, you know, something like that. I don't know what it all looks like, but that is... Uh, the creativity, you know, youth ministry, you don't always get to call the big shots. And so you have to be creative. That's like yep. what youth ministry is about. Yeah. Uh, our encouragement is just going to be like, Hey, fight to be small, fight to be small, fight to be small, do everything you can to make sure that your students have deep relationships with either you or uh, plenty of other adults that are helping out with your youth ministry. And when you do that, you will grow. Because yeah. if, if you if your students grow deep, they will start to get a heart for people, and it will naturally trickle over into their mission field. So I think that I think therein proves the point. If this whole thing is, you need to fight to be small, but but be prepared to be big. I love that. Ooh, that's good. Fight to be small, prepare to be big. Mm-hmm. That's a good catchphrase for ending our episode on. Thank you guys for hanging out with us, listening to this episode. If you want to hear us talk about more controversial things, give us conversation topics, uh, or if you want to yell at us because you hate what we said, uh, you can reach Derek at... <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, how not to be a youth pastor at gmail.com. We we'd love to hear from you either way. Uh, if you say something we don't like, maybe we'll just block you, but yeah. uh, either way, we'll appreciate uh, you guys reaching out. Uh, that does it for today's episode on behalf of Derek. I think it's about time. I go tell some of our students that they can't come anymore because we're too big. Goodbye. Goodbye.